Guardian Unlimited. Hello and welcome to The Guardian's fourth and final podcast from the Labour Party conference in Manchester. I'm Michael White and with me are Ian McCartney, Trade Minister, MP for Makerfield just down the road and until recently the Labour Party Chairman. With us too is the Guardian's political correspondent Tanya Brannigan who comes from over the Pennines in Sheffield. Well, the conference is nearly all over. We're repacking our bags for the Tories in Bournemouth. Uh, What's Labour learned this week and what's it uh, uh, not learned? Uh, Tony Blair's bought himself some time. Nobody knows uh, quite how much. That's deliberate. Uh, One Guardian blogger, Derek Draper, former ministerial aide, yesterday uh, wrote uh, on the Guardian site that the atmosphere in the bars is pretty poisonous. Is he right? He recognises poisonous more welcomely, Derek, I think, than than many other forms of atmosphere. Uh, Ian McCartney, has it been poisonous? It may have been with people at Derek, but poisons Derek's stock in trade, so no, it hasn't. it's been an optimistic conference, but a realistic. I think Labour Party members come here, and from the outset they were absolutely aching on the Friday and the Saturday, particularly Saturday when I met people on the Sunday going round. Uh, they wanted to make sure this conference brought people together. They wanted the, the small number of professional politicians at the top of the party to come together. They wanted a sense of direction. They wanted to restate their values. And they wanted to leave here with some heart, and all of that will happen. Uh, I think party members wanted to and it came through Tony Blair the right to go when he wanted to go and that members wanted that but they also want to make sure that who replaces them uh, there's, there's a sense of direction that uh, that the, the person who replaces him uh, uh, have an empathy with the party and, that, and I think they also want to make sure that the party is a very strong position to do something the Labour Party has never saw itself, and I think they do at the end of this week, to become the natural party of government rather than the natural party of opposition. And I think that psychologically has happened this week. They've made that decision, they've crossed that line. Ten years in power, the vast majority of party members know it's difficult but want to stay in power. They do realise you'd make a difference in power rather than opposition. And that's taken a long time in a centre-left party in Britain to get to the point Despite the difficulties we've got, they've now actually settled themselves. They do actually want to be the part, natural party of government. I'll come, opposition. I'll come back to you on, on, on that interesting point. Uh, Tanya Brannigan, um, my impression was that Brown and Blair have been more or less on the same side of the script uh, here this week and uh, that the media has uh, had a relatively quiet week, except uh, they forgot to tell Mrs Blair to keep her mouth shut. Uh, has it struck, struck you in terms of unity at the top and cooperation, this famous orderly transition? Well, I think if you want to know what the party's learned this week, I think it's learned to keep its mouth shut, actually, primarily, that um, it has been much more unified than people were perhaps expecting. There's been a little bit of provocation around the edges, but people haven't picked up on it. And there is a sense now <coughs> that perhaps things will be OK. I mean, ministers as well as journalists were sort of predicting that this could be a complete car crash. And certainly talking to somebody uh, yesterday, they said what, what we need is the uh, classic old formulation, which is uh, pessim- of the in- pessimism of the intellect, but optimism of the will. Um, and perhaps that might apply as much he's to the idea very, of becoming the Mr. Gramsci, who said government. that, he's not a very new Labour thinker, but I know he's popular that, with Labour people. That, do you get ticked off, Tanya, as I sometimes do in the conference, by delegates who come up and say, you know, why don't you report the conference that we attend? This media conference is quite different. Uh, yes, absolutely, because of course what they don't get is the uh, sort of people who run around behind the scenes and uh, tell us what they think is 
really going on. Um, the reason sort of stories are out there is usually because they've been briefed either by politicians or by their sort of aides and hangers-on. Having said that, though, I think it, it is the case that um, a lot of the things that actually happen sometimes don't get picked up on. There's, there's content, there's policy that comes out in conference, and a lot of what's written about is personality. Yeah. All of that's important, but it's not the only story. Yeah. Now, policy, Ian, um, the, the, the platform was defeated finally yesterday, had a pretty good week over the, the NHS. John McDonnell, who is declared for the leadership uh, campaign, complained about being muzzled and that Dave Prentice of Unison was muzzled. It was small beer compared with what uh, you and I knew 20 years ago. But how significant is a defeat for the platform, central issue like the NHS, for someone like you who negotiated the Warwick Agreement between uh, the party and the, uh, and the unions a couple of years ago? Does it matter, that sort of thing? Well... For the last 10 years, all but one year, the platform has suffered at least one defeat in conference. The big issue, that would have mattered in years gone by. It still matters because it's important that members express their opinion and you've got to take on board if you lose a vote. The big difference is the partnership and power process. They also passed yesterday uh, an NEC statement which set out a strategy of negotiating, sitting down with NHS frontline staff and their unions to see a, a way through them. To involve them more in the process of change, and not to resolve from that, change. And, okay. and I don't blame the media for this. The headline is that one vote. But alongside of it, nearly 70% of all constituency parties voted for the NEC statement. So it was the unions who, who you're saying who beat them down there? The, the, the solidarity with the TNG and unions, the health service unions. The no, constituencies supported you. It's not about supporting me. The, the constituencies and the, the unions supported an NEC statement which set out a political process of dialogue. And this is real-time dialogue. You've now got uh, the reforms that I brought through when the last things I did as party chair was to change the system where you speak for four years to create a, a, a new manifesto. We're, in fact, in a process that does two things. During the four years that we've got to implement this manifesto, there's got to be accountability in how you, how you implement it. Mm. And so what you do is sit down in real time, following that decision yesterday, government ministers, the party, the policy commission, will now sit down with the trade unions uh, and frontline staff and engage them uh, in a, a more effective way, how you implement really difficult decisions in the reform of the NHS. And as Dave Prentice said himself yesterday, Unison are pro-reform. They recognise and realise there has to be reform in the NHS and other public services. But in, in some specific areas, they've got serious difficulties, and that came through. Okay. But the big okay. difference now is there is a political process, which I think will be very effective. Okay. Now, Alan Johnson, the Education Secretary, a man who's mentioned in the context of leadership and deputy leadership options, you rightly pointed out a few minutes ago before we came on air that people should talk about running for deputy leader, not deputy prime minister. There is a difference, and many people have forgotten. John Reid is expected, like Mr Johnson, to stick to his script, stick to his job today. And uh, I think ministers, uh, Tanya, are hoping to go home, be seen by the voters, not to be squabbling, voters don't like it, and getting on with their jobs for the next few months, and we'll see what uh, uh, turns up. Uh, what's your sense of uh, how easy this will be uh, when they get away from the febrile atmosphere of Manchester? Uh, I think much easier said than done. One of the things that has been quite obvious this week is when you talk to people about timings, when do they think Tony Blair will go and when do they think Tony Blair should go, there's really quite, quite a range there. Um, and from range from what to what? Well, from people saying he should be out by Christmas to people say he should de you know, declare he's standing down. Um, after the May elections, so... Uh, but, but opinion doesn't mean division. 
Everybody's got an opinion in the whole of the world about what Tony Blair does. Yeah, why expect Labour Party members are any different? I mean, they're human beings, like they're not walking about with horns in their head. I mean, that does not mean division. People are quite rightly expressing their view, but one thing is absolutely certain. Whatever view they express about when Tony Blair should go, I think overwhelmingly everybody now wants Tony Blair to be able to make his decision in his own time. Yeah. Are you a sooner rather than later man? I'm going to ask you that question. I know you're not going to answer it. I'm too old in the truth to do that, okay. Michael. I mean, uh, when Tony makes his decision, he'll make his decision. I'm sure he'll make the decision on the basis of two things, isn't it? Uh, one on the basis uh, was best for the country, and one is the basis best for the Labour Party. And let's hope uh, those two things positions come together as one. What did you think of Bill Clinton, both of you, uh, a speech yesterday? Uh, it seems slower than in the past occasions I've heard him. He's just turned 60, six months younger than me. Uh, but nonetheless, the message was, was Blair's message of you have to change to keep, uh, to have to keep going. And don't think, I mean, he was quite strong warning against the dangers of losing through division or self-indulgence. And he didn't mention the word George Bush once, but boy, you could tell he was trying to frighten the delegates with George Bush as a, as a or his... British equivalent as the next election winner. Oh, he's a class act, isn't he? I mean, you got someone there who can, in a simple but effective way, take very complex global issues, and at the end of it, you felt that he's talked to you personally, and you fully understand what he's saying. And I don't mean he preaches to people in the kind of traditional sense, but uh, he, was, he is a class act. He's, he's way out there. Uh, a woman Labour MP uh, said to a friend of mine, Tanya, that she'd never seen someone flirt with 3,000 people at once. I take it was your first time you'd seen him. Did uh, the little frisson there with Bill Clinton, the, the old rascal? <laughs> well, I actually, no, not for the first time. I, I couldn't resist going back to him one more time. Um, I've, I've seen him before, and I thought yesterday's... Uh, speech was actually quite mediocre by Bill Clinton's standards, which of course means that by anybody else's standards it was a bit of a triumph, really. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, all I can say is that I'm just glad he's not my next door neighbour. Uh, he's, he's got that thing about him. <laughs> Ian, uh, you'll be taking a special interest in the deputy leadership uh, contest when it comes. You ran John Prescott's campaign for that job in 1994. He must have run several times before that, if I remember, before he finally, he did, got, finally yeah. got the job. Yeah. What uh, experience or caution would you give to the people who are throwing their hats into the ring or thinking about so doing? Well, it's not about caution. I, I, again, I think it's important. That I'll take a keen interest in both the leader and the deputy leader as a, as a party member. Uh, I think you need someone who's got empathy someone who understands the stresses and strains of uh, the centre-left and its capacity to, as you said earlier, have a car crash and then blame the wall for not moving over. Uh, as we get longer into government, uh, it, it gets harder. Uh, so we need someone with empathy. I think we need someone who's got a, a great deal of skill, knowledge, experience, uh, and who, who can and will work with and understand their role compared to the personal leader and prime minister. Uh, so what is the difference? There is a real difference. The leader becomes the prime minister and there is a responsibility for those who work around to support that role as prime minister uh, and pay a role and to carve a role out in support. And in support it's not about being subservient, it's putting skills and knowledge together. We're all human beings and every single person has got human frailties. So it's providing a collegiate team at the top of the party and a collegiate team at the top of the country. It is really, really important. 
a time of huge changes in globalisation, that the public have got uh, a certainty <coughs> that the, le the leaders can in fact lead, can in fact do the job well and competently. That doesn't mean they'll agree with every decision a leader will make, but they certainly want to make sure when a leader makes a decision it's people with competence and skills. Yeah. Tanya, we do assume it's right that when John Prescott speaks later this morning, he'll announce what everybody regards as a matter of common sense, that he'll stand down when Tony Blair stands down. There won't be two separate contests. No, no, it looks as if it's, it's all going to be sort of, uh, all happen in one moment, really. It's all yeah. the excitement at once, which uh, makes sense. I mean, it would be absurd to have two, really, particularly if you're looking at a team, people perhaps thinking about um, who would work well together. So. Ian, it's not a dream team, by the way. I mean, I, this old heart that... Uh, I, I think it's the nightmare team. Uh, no, I, I'm I'm actually quite confident that the Labour Party uh, will select and its leader and deputy leader a, a team which uh, will each strip in intellect and and ability anything that the Tories have got. Those boys from Notting Hill, eh? Now John Crudus, interesting. Nobody's heard of him much. He's the MP for Dagenham, Eastern Fringes of London. Uh, he used to be the trade union fixer in Number Ten, uh, dealing for the Prime Minister's office with the wider Labour movement. Uh, mind of his own, uh, uh, a lot of people like him. He's running for deputy leader. Nobody thinks he's got a prayer, but he's a serious man. And the question I'm leading up to asking you is, he says the deputy leader should not be the deputy prime minister. He should be uh, the link between the party and uh, the wider movement. Now, has he got that right, or isn't that practical? You've seen most of this stuff. Well, I'm a personal friend of John's, and we've worked together for 20 years. He's a man of extreme integrity. And he usually his words are usually wise counsel, and you can't read into that anything I'm saying about his bed. That's for him. He made a decision, never consulted me about it. No sure if he's his own manager, right? Uh, I think I said earlier uh, that the deputy leader has to be one of those persons who has a bridge and empathy with the party, because that's who you're elected a deputy leader. If the prime minister chooses uh, to have a deputy prime minister, that's their choice. Uh, and that may well be the case, but the Labour Party doesn't elect a, a deputy prime minister. The Labour Party is electing a deputy leader, and so people will be looking to someone who's got the skills as well as being a uh, someone a really huge support uh, for a prime minister in government. They're also looking, as, as John Prescott has shown, capacity to do, to have an empathy with the party, uh, and that's really important. Ten years into government, going for a fourth term. Uh, the party needs someone in government who they see alongside the Prime Minister uh, will be able to voice their opinions and that being the role that I try to play as party chair you do need that bridge and the deputy leader is elected the party chair is an appointment and so I've, uh, I've always believed that the deputy leader has to be someone who not only got the ability to serve well in government but has got the ability understanding of the role and needs of Labour Party members Tanya, Ian McCartney is far too uh, uh, diplomatic and far too crafty to tell us who he thinks ought to win, even if he has views, and he may not yet. But, uh, well, I may uh, do, actually. Well, I'll ask you in that case. <laughs> no, call your bluff. Um, the, uh, uh, but, but looking at the field as it now stands, uh, how do you imagine it? Uh, let's say, for argument's sake, Gordon Brown, Stephanie couldn't lead the Labour Party. Who would, who would make a deputy that work? And I'll, I'll give you a leading question. Um, Harriet Harman, she's a woman, she's from the South, she's English. Uh, do we need to balance the ticket that way? Ian McCartney talked about no dream teams, or is that the wrong way to look at it? Who's going to win, in other words? Who's going to be the number two? Well, who, who knows who's going to actually win, because we're into an incredibly 
complicated electoral college and one of the strange things about the rules is that actually very few people in the party seem to sort of fully understand them. Ian's probably one of the exceptions. Um, so far be it for me to predict what MPs and union members, because members, it's members remember who are going to actually have the say this time, um, and indeed sort of ordinary activists do in the end. But yes, some people are looking for balance. Uh, it partly depends on the role. I mean, if you think this person is going to be Deputy Prime Minister, you could argue that somebody like Jack Straw has the sort of experience in a He's not a threat major to anyone, portfolio, is he? and equally isn't planning to become a leader itself. Unlike some, we could mention helps. Alan Johnson, yes, yeah, so it's difficult. Uh, Trade unionist, though, Johnson, he's got a, there's a case for him. Abs absolutely. I mean, I think that there are sort of pretty strong cases for all the candidates who are out there at the moment. Uh, some people have been preparing for this moment for a very long time, even if perhaps they haven't been running campaigns officially. Uh, and who knows how many candidates we'll end up with. It's hard to see more than four or five, but one cabinet minister pointed out to me yesterday that uh, everybody needs the support of 44 MPs. You could theoretically end up with eight, which would be a horribly crowded field. So probably for the sake of the party, well, you're rather hoping you don't get there. The Labour conference uh, adopts uh, the choice agenda for the public services. It'd certainly get one there. Ian, Ian McCartney, uh, at last year's conference, I think it was last year, not the year before, wasn't it? Uh, you, having worked yourself very hard, uh, had a very nasty uh, uh, heart attack uh, and were rushed into hospital. Uh, lost a lot of weight, you said, when we spoke recently. Uh, how's it been this year and how are you feeling? How's it, after that drama and nightmare of last year, being dashed down the M6 in an ambulance? I think I'm the NHS's favourite patient. Uh, yeah, I, I'm fine. I had a, a nasty fright. I was extremely lucky. And uh, with the support of my family and the, the dedication of the NHS here in Manchester in my hometown Wigan, a year on, I'm extremely fit. So. I've lost 61 pounds in weight. I'm physically, mentally more alert. Um, I've got confidence back in what I'm doing. You can lose confidence yeah. with an illness. It's, it's very interesting, although you're articulate and a hardy person, when someone actually you've never met in your life before says, tomorrow I'm going to stop your heart, it, there's a bit of a lot to take in. And so I've had huge support and from the party, actually. It was, it's been overwhelming. And going around this uh, conference this week, uh, if I was an entrepreneur, I would be bringing out a book on how to lose 61 pounds. But not being an entrepreneur, I won't do that. But if I do, then do it. Probably to raise funds for the Labour Party rather than for myself personally. So I, uh, I've enjoyed this week because for the first time in 12 years, I've done 11 fringe meetings, wrote my own speeches, gave my own answers to the questions asked me from the audience and that. Liberated at last. Yes. Well, you're looking very well on it. Thank you very much to Ian, Ian McCartney, to Tanya Brannigan. Uh, thanks for listening. Join us next Monday uh, for the first, pod, well, first podcast from Bournemouth, where a uh, resurgent Conservative Party will be expecting great things of David Cameron. They're going into conference ahead in the polls for what, by my calculation, is the first time in 14 years. So goodbye. See you there. Guardian Unlimited.